Hello, I'm Eugene Chausovsky, a senior Eurasia analyst at Stratfor, and this podcast is brought to you by Stratfor Worldview, the world's leading geopolitical intelligence platform. Individual, team, and enterprise memberships are available at worldview.stratfor.com slash subscribe. I find it highly doubtful that the Skripals were the only defectors that were looked at. That's going to be the big analytical question behind the scenes for MI5. Who else was on that list that perhaps was looked at and we never saw the bad guys watching them? Welcome to the Stratfor podcast, focused on geopolitics and world affairs from stratfor.com. I'm your host, Ben Sheen. Amid reports of widespread Russian spying on expatriates and dissidents in the United States and the United Kingdom, as well as the unfolding drama surrounding the attempted assassination of former Russian intelligence agent Sergei Skripal and his daughter in London, we sit down with Stratfor Chief Security Officer Fred Burton for his unique perspective on the Kremlin's intelligence apparatus today and the capacity for Western agencies to respond. Thank you for joining us. Here at Stratfor, one of the ways in which we break down the world is around a series of themes and topics. And these are effectively ways in which we conceptualize some of the bigger issues we encounter when, when looking at analyzing, interpreting the international system. One of these themes is simply called Echoes of the Cold War. And it's the way in which we're seeing history somewhat repeat itself as we move back to this period of great power cooperation. Now, when we think of the Cold War, a big aspect of that was very much the, the, the game of espionage and subterfuge and this clandestine battle between great powers. Now, with me today in the studio is Fred Burton to talk a little bit about what we're seeing and a possible reemergence of that trend specifically centered around for example, the recent case of former Russian double agent Sergei Skripal, who was potentially targeted for assassination by the Russians. Fred, some of the stuff we're seeing here, if you'll pardon the phrase, isn't quite cricket. Um, what <laughs> are these developments we're seeing uh, in, in this picture? Well, I think certainly the attempted assassination by the Skripals, uh, the father and the daughter on British soil, uh, raises uh, the whole specter of... Uh, the links that the Russian intelligence service will go to just to not only hunt down those kinds of persons that have betrayed Mother Russia, but also with that clear kind of signal that resonates to, to any others that are trying to or thinking about or on the fence or might be cooperating with either uh, MI6 uh, and or the CIA or any Western intelligence service. So uh, those kinds of actions – no doubt resonate through the entire uh, intelligence community, especially when you start thinking about uh, the shadow wars between Russia, the UK, and the United States. I think that's an important thing to mention as well, is that Sergei himself, he was traded as part of a, uh, a spy swap, an exchange. Right. So he effectively, don't get me wrong, I'm sure he still lives under a degree of paranoia, uh, but that was legit and above board. And yet something like this can still happen. Now, clearly you've experienced uh, this game firsthand, Fred. 
what sort of signal does this send for for individuals who have effectively thought they've put their previous life with the Russian intelligence behind them only to find it lurking around the next corner? Oh, my goodness. I can't imagine uh, that not only that paranoia, but the fear that uh, not only could they be watching me, uh, which might be the you might have rationalized that uh, that the, the revenge factor that the, the long reach of the Russian FSB, the KGB will come after me. But you don't think about them perhaps also trying to go after your family or trying to kill your your loved ones. But I think that's the kind of frightening aspect from a psychological perspective that uh, this was very purposeful in that that not only are you going to be betray- when you betray our country, there is a hell of a price to be paid, and we will find you, and uh, we will extract uh, a pound of flesh. There will be vengeance for your betrayal. Therefore, you better not be thinking about this if you're still back at Moscow Center, uh, or if you are those intelligence officers either operating in London or elsewhere in the world, and you're thinking about becoming an asset of uh, the British Intelligence Service or the American CIA. Absolutely. And as we've seen, London and the United Kingdom has become quite a popular destination over the years for uh, individuals coming from Russia, be they um, exchanges in... in A lot of Russian money there. Absolutely. Uh, A lot of Russian interests. There's a big Russian expat community there. Right. And it seems that as a result, that's attracted the attention of the Russian intelligence services. Uh, Reportedly, there have been more Russian agents deployed to London in recent years than there were during the Cold War, which is an alarming statistic, especially uh, if you're trying to leave that life behind. Without a doubt. And let's let's not lose sight of the fact that uh, uh, MI5, uh, Scotland Yard, the British Intelligence Service are under extraordinary amount of pressure to prevent uh, acts of terrorism on the streets of London. Therefore, much like what happened to the United States and to the FBI after 9-11, your entire counterintelligence mission begins to slip a little bit because you, you become laser fixated and focused on trying to prevent uh, the next act of terror. Therefore, it becomes a, a juggling match with what is, what's more of a priority, uh, to keep track on a few old retired spies, perhaps, or trying to do surveillance on suspected jihadis that are running around the street that might be planning the next uh, serious act of terror. It's a tough position to be in, and it's almost a lose-lose kind of scenario for the British security services when you think about this because there are no good options there. That's a good point. In, in a world of finite resources, where do you put your priorities? And actually what we've seen as a result of this is uh, the United States actually reach out and offer a degree of protection to the scruples as well uh, in the event that they should potentially want to relocate. Yes, and I thought that was fascinating. And uh, that uh, is, is one of the aspects that I thought would be interesting for our listeners to understand would be uh, who would protect the Skripals if, in fact, the British government asked us to uh, lend a hand and help protect them. And uh, at least from my experience, there would be three principal players uh, involved here, Ben. Uh, The first would be the United States Marshal Service, uh, the Witness Security Program. They do a wonderful job. Uh, They've got terrorists and mobsters and all kinds of other organized crime uh, informants and Uh, embedded into the program, and they never, ever have lost anybody in the history of the program. So they've got a long storied history of protecting people, uh, but their rules are very draconian. They're very uh, forceful, and you play by their rules or 
or they'll boot you out. Uh, I've I've experienced that firsthand, not not as a uh, witness, but watch them take uh, informants and and send them on their way if they don't play by the rules. Uh, the second entity would certainly be the CIA. Uh, a lot of folks don't realize that they do have a domestic security kind of component, and they are fully capable of protecting uh, the scrapples if, in fact, uh, the, that was a decision that would be made. Uh, and then the third would be the FBI. The FBI uh, certainly would also have that, those kinds of resources to keep track of them. So, But as I step back and look at this, Ben, uh, kind of like we were chatting uh, off the air uh, before this podcast was that – I think the benefit that we have here in the United States is that sheer geography, the ability to place the scrapples in a location where it would be extraordinarily difficult. I'm not saying impossible, uh, but it would be extraordinarily difficult for the Russian intelligence services to hunt them down. And I think it's important to note as well that what we're seeing here is a changing paradigm is that, um, and again, the UK has a lot of mechanisms for uh, you know protection analogous to what the US has. Quite the, good, I- too. Absolutely, on a, on a smaller scale as well. But certainly we're seeing the, the, this changing paradigm, whereas individuals who perhaps might have thought they were safe might not be anymore. So whereas protection potentially wouldn't be required before, certainly people are going to be thinking twice, especially if they have a reason to be on uh, you know, Vladimir Putin's personal hit list, if you like. Yeah, I can't imagine. And uh, if you think about this, too, from just an operational perspective, um, the day that the, the Skripals were poisoned, Think about the reaction behind the scenes inside the counterintelligence divisions of MI5 and Scotland Yard. They're going to have to do very quick and rapid threat assessments on every other defector that they might have on UK soil. They're going to have to uh, start assigning uh, counter-surveillance assets on them, put close protection teams in place uh, until the dust settles because you don't know who else could perhaps be targeted. And and one of the other variables here that we still don't know the answer to is I find it highly doubtful that the Scripals were the only defectors that were looked at, that whoever put these plans in place probably also looked at other potential target sets, and a decision was made by Moscow Center or whoever was operationally in charge of calling the shots to go after them. So... That's going to be the big analytical question behind the scenes for MI5, too, is uh, who else was on that list that perhaps was looked at and we never saw the, the bad guys watching them? And beyond the uh, the surveillance aspect, it's important to note the the type of method that was employed here, because certainly in the past we've seen deaths of uh, Russian expatriates under suspicious circumstances, um, whereas there might have been let's just say a little bit more up close and personal, um, how how their demise was affected. Whereas in the case of Sergei and his daughter, what we actually saw here was the use of a very specific chemical agent. It was almost like dropping a calling card, if you will. <laughs> yeah. um, so certainly that act and, and the intent behind the type of system that was used, that speaks volumes in many respects, doesn't it? Clearly. And uh, I guarantee you that behind the scenes between MI6 and the CIA and the FBI and and MI5, uh, the, the the wires were burning up trying to evaluate not only uh, exactly what toxin was used to carry out the assassination attempt, but also just trying to figure out uh, who else might have been looked at and who else might be in play. So those first few hours, you have no doubt an organization like MI5 that's sitting back thinking, 
Oh, my goodness. Um, first, let's find all of our other defectors. Let's go out and make notifications. We need to heavy up on the security. Uh, we need to keep watch. Then you also got to think about uh, the cables burning up at the Russian embassy there in London and and surveillance logs being looked at and, and trying to map couriers coming in and out of the country and, and then compound the problem with um, the expat community that's already in play in London and as you're trying to ferret out maybe illegals or sleeper agents that were there, uh, you've got a, a major investigation here. Uh, there's no doubt in, in my mind that for 72 hours after this event, uh, you're just trying to manage that chaos, much like you're trying to manage a terrorist crime scene. No, Fred, you're absolutely right. I think that's a really important way to consider this as well, because there is a lot happening below the surface that isn't widely known, isn't widely reported. And yet there are also above the surface implications, especially in the diplomatic and the political realm, uh, such as uh, London making the decision to expel a lot of you know Russian diplomats or right. declared intelligence officials. And as you mentioned before, these are the ones that, that are known and overt. And clearly, you know, Russia isn't going to uh, suddenly up sticks and move out. They're going to maintain a, a clandestine presence regardless. But already you saw a lot of other countries follow suit. Um, so as we can see, there is this sort of tit for tat back and forth, and these actions do have repercussions. What do you think, I mean, in Europe, obviously this is a very hard subject to kind of like second guess, but how do you see this playing out in the next few years as we see these tensions, if anything, worsen between the West and Russia? Well, I think that we won't see this stop. I think that uh, this is part of Russian foreign policy initiatives to carry out these kinds of actions on foreign soil. I think the Cold War never ended. I think that this is a perfect example of that, Ben. Uh, I would not be surprised uh, to see additional attempts uh, going forward. I think uh, over the next few months, it's going to be very difficult because all those protective security moves and shifts have already been taken. Defectors have enhanced uh, patrol coverage, enhanced watch, overwatch on those individuals that are already in the U.S. and U.K. and Australian hands, for example. Uh, you're going to have an uptick in uh, that kind of activity. But uh, you also are going to have a tremendous amount of lessons learned from this and, I, and let's be let's be clear here. Let's let's uh, it's a good thing that both lived, obviously. So you're going to have people, victims that you can debrief. You're going to have a lot of lessons learned here. That's going to allow the security services of the Western nations to huddle and think about how they protect uh, defectors going forward, with an eye towards uh, hopefully never letting this happen again. Uh, but I'm not optimistic that that's not going to happen. Absolutely. Uh, we've seen this this round of the game get played, and certainly there will be subsequent rounds to follow. No doubt. Fred, thank you so much for joining me today. It's always a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you, Ben. And that wraps up this episode of the Stratfor podcast. If you'd like to read more on the topic, be sure to check out Fred Burton's recent assessment on how the U.S. could shield Sergei Skripal from the Kremlin's revenge on Stratfor Worldview. We'll include a link in the show notes, along with a link to our broader analysis collected under the theme, Echoes of the Cold War. If you're not already a Worldview member, you can learn more about individual, team, and enterprise access at worldview.stratfor.com slash subscribe. Worldview members can share their perspective on the current geopolitical tension between Russia and the West, and even engage with Stratfor analysts, editors, and contributors in our members-only forum. 
A full transcript of this conversation with Fred Burton will also be available on our podcast page. That's at worldview.stratfor.com slash media slash podcasts. And for more geopolitical intelligence, analysis, and forecasting that reveal the underlying significance and future implications of emerging world events, follow us on Twitter at Stratfor. Stratfor.